and uh, let's hear what the Lord would say to us. And uh, so good to have Susie here. She's been going home every weekend. We're going to pray at the end of service. Everybody's been praying. Everybody's been fasting. But Susie has a big day Wednesday. And we want the Lord's favor and the Lord's will. Amen. Um, and Destiny is here too. And we are so thrilled. And you look fabulous. Fabulous. Um, blessed. We are so blessed to have you. Psalms 40, are you there? Psalms 40, are you there? Psalms 40, are you there? All right, good. You didn't lose your hearing yet. Psalms 40, verse 1. Is Angel sick? Okay. Okay. Psalms 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Someone say a horrible pit. David didn't try to decorate his pit. You know, you can decorate your pit, make a home in your pit. He calls it what it is. Sometimes we have to do that. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. He has established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will what? Many will what? Many will what? And do what? Fear and put their trust in the Lord. Look up. What God wants to do, promises in a pit. I explain what a pit is. We all have them. God wants to do something new and awesome through the seasons of pits and the days of pits. And when people see what God has done, many will fear and put their trust in the Lord and say, this is marvelous in the Lord's eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive your word. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Speak to each man or woman in this house. Thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you this man will fail to meet late last night. But God, I thank you that the word will come forth, Lord, that you knew I'd be here this morning. I ask you to speak to your people in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, promises in a pit. You know, God told Jeremiah in the first chapter, and he tells this to you this morning. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That means that, I don't want to get too uh, R-rated this morning, but that means at the moment of your conception, however you were conceived, God chose which cell would meet each cell. I'll keep it simple like that. Look at your neighbor and just say, keep it simple. God chose. It doesn't matter how you were conceived or when you were conceived or where you were conceived. Before you were formed in the womb, God knew you by name. Can you say amen? Before you were born, He sanctified you. He called you and He ordained you. Say, God has ordained me. God has ordained you. God gives you that promise before any pit in your life. If you show me this morning the place of your greatest pain, I will show you the place of your greatest promotion. Come on, you show me this morning the place of your greatest pain and I will show you the potential place of your greatest promotion. Your crown comes to your promotion. You can't leave the place of your pit until the crown comes because if you leave, you leave before the promise is fulfilled. Somebody put your hands together for that this morning and say amen and amen. You can decorate that pit. What is a pit? I'm going to talk to you about three men this morning. Be pretty fast because this man, someone else was going to speak this morning. Couldn't be here. And uh, this man fell to me last night. But I was thrilled when Susie called me and said, if you're preaching, I'm coming in the morning. I said, guess what? I just got tagged 15 minutes ago. Of course, she'd have come anyway. But God's got a word. Say, God's got a word 
Oh, y'all sound like you are on. Come on. Say, God's got a word for me. Thank God Matt came back into the house. Okay, the house. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a word for me. The palace, your next moment. Your crown, your next assignment. You got to wait on God. And pits are places um, sometimes that you'll see in these three men's life that can be miry and ugly. You can be put in a pit by others. You can be put in the pit on a journey to where you're going because of where you're going. Joseph was put in a pit. Jeremiah was put in a pit. And David was put in a pit who penned the words to Psalms 40. A pit can be a place that seems bottomless. A pit can be a place where it seems like the ceiling is so low above you that you cannot go any higher. A pit can be a place of restriction. A pit, remember the money pit? <laughs> the money pit, the, the movie. A pit can be financial trouble. You know, a pit can be a place where you're fighting one thing on this hand and all of a sudden you find yourself having to fight something on the left. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever been there? A pit is a place you never wanted to be. The problem is that sometimes we get tempted to stay in the place of a pit because of what the lies that are spoken to us, because of our feelings, of our emotions, because of our circumstances. I have good news for you this morning. I thought I was pondering this week, and it comes back to me this morning, that Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan is coming to sift you as wheat. Sift means to tear you apart. You have to study the word sift and what it means to wheat. Absolutely destroy Satan has asked to sift you. Satan has asked to sift you, to put you into a place that you can't fulfill your destiny, that you can't get to the next assignment. But Jesus said, don't worry, Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Let me ask you something this morning. Who is the greatest person in your life that you would like to pray for you? If right now, in the darkest moment of your life, you got one phone call, you could only call one person, who would you call to pray for you? You don't need to shout that out, but let me tell you something. Something. Each one of us have a first call person. Somebody we know that just won't go, oh God help them. But somebody we know that's down on their knees or up walking on the mountain. Somebody that'll put everything aside and say, you know what? I'm going to stand in the gap for that need. I'm going to stand here and tarry. The old timers when I was growing up, they had this thing called praying you through. Someone say praying you through. Praying you through meant just what it meant. It doesn't mean just, oh, God touched Debbie, help her Debbie. It meant, no, I drag Debbie's carcass down to the altar. I get down there with Debbie. I pray until heaven breaks through and hell is found no more. I found in this new 21st century wonderful, sometimes sick or friendly place, there's not many people that know how to pray somebody through. But I'm telling you, if I get one call in the pit, if the master of the pit says, you got one call. Who are you going to call? I'm going to call somebody that still knows that we can get a hold of heaven and we can change things that are going on when we say I'm not giving up or shutting up till God comes through. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on. Shake Sunday morning off of you. Well, guess what? Jesus. Can you think of anyone you would rather have praying for you this morning than Jesus? Is there anyone? And Hebrews 7 and 25 says, He is able. Someone say, He is, he is. Able. able. Say it again. He is, he is. Able. able. 
to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what? I might have a grandmama. I might have a daddy. I might have a sister. My sister's a prayer warrior. My best female friend is a prayer warrior. You know, I've got several people that would be my first call. But you know what? They got other things to do in life. But guess what? Hebrews 7 and 25 said, he is set down at the Father's right hand and he lives to make intercession for me. So this morning, let me encourage you. When you feel you got no one praying for you, no one standing in the gap, in the pit, you may feel no one knows your name, but at the right hand of the throne, the ancient of days, sits the Lord Jesus Christ and he ever lives to intercede for you. Somebody give him a shout of praise in this house. Come on. Give him a shout of praise. Oh, you're a weak bunch. I preached a, t I preached a two that gave me more than you're giving me. Look at your neighbor and say, step it up. So I'll calm down. Everything has been going so well for Joseph, our first pit dweller. Everything has been going well. He's been given the dream. He's been spoken over. We're talking about promises in a pit. He's had great declarations over him, but in the pit, we know that his brothers will pass quickly through this. His brothers sold, his brothers put him in a pit, intending to kill him. They intended that the pit would kill him. They put him in there and in the pit. And when you're in a pit, when you're in a place of restriction, when you're in a place where there are no answers, when you're in a place when things are happening, the opposite, come on somebody, what do you do when the opposite happens than what you had planned on? Come on. We've all been there. Moments when the opposite happened of what we thought would happen. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a pit. A place where faith seems scarce. A place where restrictions seem many. A place sometimes where our heart is breaking. A place of betrayal. A place where questions are greater than answers. A place where fear is stronger it seems than faith. A place where doubt seems so big and yet that strong courage seems long gone. Someone say I've been there Pastor Anna. Come on. Someone say I've been there. In the pit the thoughts accuse you. Thoughts of, you know what? You'll never be any good. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here in this pit if you had done things right. You'll never get everything straightened out. This will never work out. It's over. You'll never get the dream together. The dream will never come together. The promise that God gave you will never happen. The promise that God spoke over your life. Look at all that's happened. If you had been faithful, this would have never happened. Joseph had to fight the lies of the enemy. And in a pit, David fought the lies of the enemy. We'll get to in just a moment by remembering the goodness of God. Let me tell you something about the enemy. The enemy always manipulates lies to look like truth. The enemy always fabricates evidence. What does fabricate mean? Marissa and I were giving some definition of that this morning. Fabricate to means to make things up. Fabricate means to make something look real that is not real. What happened? The brothers came to Jacob after they had sold him out of the pit to the Midianites. The brothers came to Jacob with the coat and it was bloodied. They had torn it up themselves and they said to Jacob, listen, they didn't say your son is dead. They said, is this not your son's coat? Isn't that what the enemy does? He fabricates evidence to you. He says things to you to incite fear and worry. All of these things. He said, is this not your son's coat? Does this not belong to him? And Jacob concluded and said, that is my son's tunic. 
It must be that a wild beast has devoured him. Jacob landed at a conclusion that was so far from truth. And listen to this. This is so important. For 20 years, Jacob probably woke up in a sweat in the midnight hour, seeing visions, come on somebody, of that lion ripping Joseph. Seeing visions of something that never happened and never would happen. Let me tell you, the enemy of your soul when you're in a pit of fear or discouragement or sickness or a pit in a place of financial trouble will always wake you up showing you a vision of something that has never happened and something that will never happen. Because if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. Do I have a friend in this house this morning? Come on. And for 20 years, everyone say 20 years. I wonder how many days you've been dreaming and seen a foreboding conclusion to something in your life or someone's life that you love. A foreboding ending of, of treachery and horribleness. He dreamed. He based his conclusion on fabricated evidence. You have to discern the lies of the enemy at every point of your life. But listen to me. If you are somehow in a pit today of dryness, if you're in a pit of financial, a pit where everything doesn't seem to be going well, or a pit where you're worried about your children, or someone you love is in a pit, you've got to help discern the lies of the enemy because I'm going to tell you something. Pit dwellers cannot hear clearly, and they need men and women of faith to help them to discern what is real. Because when you're in a pit, you're vulnerable. Can I get an amen? When you're in a pit, those lies that Satan manipulates, you'll begin to look at fabricated evidence and you'll begin to believe that which is not true. Listen, when the enemy came to Joseph in the pit and said, that dream that you had, that dream of your brothers bowing down to you, that dream of God lifting you up and God using you, that dream of you having a purpose to your life, that dream of a better future than your past, that dream cannot be anymore or you wouldn't be in this pit or let me say it to you is what the enemy would say. Look at your ceiling. Look at your floor. Look at your walls. You dream of financial conquest. How can that be? You're in a pit. How can it be that anything you ever got prophesied over 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 6 years ago or 22 years ago. Pastor Billy told me something Saturday morning about this church. He told me in 99. He didn't even remember it. But I have the cassette tape. Everyone remember cassette tapes? I have the cassette tape that I've listened to about 160 times. I said in 1999, told him the day, you said this. He was blown away by himself. He said, get it back out. I said, I don't have to get it back out, Pastor Billy. I can quote it to you word for word. Let me tell you something. God may surprise you in the moments of the pit and in that moment with Joseph, I believe the voice of the Lord, the voice of truth, said, Joseph, it's not over. Only the promise keeper can keep you in the moments of the pit. If God said it, that settles it, and you've got to believe it. Somebody give God a praise in this house. In those moments, we become vulnerable. In moments of pit, we become vulnerable. Of God can never use you. God can never turn this mess around. I've met so many pit dwellers that have said there's no way now. And it's usually those that are called to restore people. It's usually called to those that are called to do mighty things and feel like they're too messed up. It's too much, too much bad press. 
In those moments, we've got to remember nowhere in the pit can we say for a moment that God cannot redeem because the scripture is full from Genesis to Revelation of pit dwellers that God redeemed and restored. Can you say amen? Well, you know what happened. Joseph was not dead. And I've said that to you many times. Jacob was wrong. For 20 years, Jacob wrestled in his bed. Listen to me by the Holy Spirit. This is for you. What are you wrestling with right now? What are you being tormented right now? What is waking you up, making you fearful? What is causing you to weep or cry or not have faith and not hold on? Jacob for 20 years had to have nightmares about something that had never happened and never would happen. I'm going to tell you this morning, whatever the enemy is causing nightmares for you, you've got to be somewhere in the pit. And we know David cried out to the Lord. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me. He heard my cry. He put me up out of a horrible pit. He brought me up. Let me tell you something. We've got to give that cry for those that we love and ourselves and hold on to the promise in the darkness of the pit. It's muddy. It's dark. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't look good. Come on, somebody. The atmosphere in the pit has not been made to cook taco soup in. Come on, somebody. The atmosphere in the pit has not been made to smell brownies. What you may be going through or where life may have most of us right now is not a place that it looks like a candidate for a miracle. But guess what? Joseph was taken up out of the pit. Guess what? Joseph was sold into Egypt. Guess what? Joseph was taken on the way to his destiny to be at the right hand of Pharaoh. Matt, come up to the keyboards and help me. Joseph was taken there to get into his place and to get into his appointment and to get into his assignment because God had sent him. And let me tell you, the same God that sent him is the same God that's going to send you. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. Daniel, if you'll just turn him real low for me, I want him just to play on these last few minutes. Let me tell you what happens to another pit dweller. In the book of Jeremiah, we find the prophet, the very one that God said, before you were born, I ordained you and sent you forth. Before you were born, I knew you by name. We find Jeremiah who said that God's word was like a fire shut up in his bone. We find Jeremiah there trying to do the will of God. Some evil people conspired against him in Jeremiah 38. Some men in the king's palace approached the king and they said to the very king, they said, this man is trouble. They said, this man should be thrown into the dungeon. This is a man that's doing the will of God. This is a man that's taking a stand. This is the man that God said, I knew you, Jeremiah, before you were born. But Jeremiah finds himself being falsely accused. And the men go before the king and the king falls, Zedekiah, underneath the push of others. And he says, okay, put him, put him down in that dungeon. Just beat. In fact, he says, let it be in your hands. And so they take Jeremiah. And listen what it says in Jeremiah 38 and 6. Then they let Jeremiah and they cast him into the dungeon with ropes. There was no water but mire. And Jeremiah sank in the mire. Here is a man of God. Here is a woman of God being put in a place. I love the way scripture paints the picture. He's down there in the mud. He's sinking. He's down there in the mire and he's sinking. He's drowning. It reminds me of what's said in Psalm 69. Oh Lord, I sink in deep mire. I sink, Lord, where there is no standing. 
I've come into deep waters and floods have overflowed me. Let not me be put to shame, Lord. Reproach has broken my heart. And oh, I am full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity on me. Let me tell you something. There's some people in your life right now, because this is not as much about Jeremiah, but it's about the man who got him out. In your life and in my life, there are people who are waiting for someone to pull them out. There's Jeremiah. You can imagine him being under there. There was an Ethiopian named Ebed Melech. Everyone say Ebed Melech. Everyone say Ebed Melech. Say, I'll never forget. Okay, I'll never forget. Ebed Melech. Okay, we'll say it seven times until we all say, I'll never forget. Ebed Melech. He's an Ethiopian, dark skinned. You know what's so crazy about Ebed Melech? We don't even know his given name that his mama gave him. Because Ebed Melech means servant, listen to me, of the king. This is to every servant of the Most High God this morning. Because what Ebed Melech does and the reward he gets, I promise you, is a word from heaven for me and for you this morning, especially this morning. Ebed Melech was a servant, a eunuch, but he went before the king. And he said to the king, he risked his life. He risked his reputation. He walked into a place he didn't have the right to be. And he said, there's an injustice going on. They have put Jeremiah into the dungeon. He's sinking right now. There's no food. There's no water. He's going to drown. King, he may be dead right now. King, I ask you, turn this decree around. Undo what has been done. I wonder how long has it been since you went before the Father and said, Father, undo what has been done in this person's life. Undo what has been done. Remove the shame. Remove the attack of the enemy. Remove the distress. I wonder how long has it been since you went before him. Ebed Melech went before the king with such compassion that this is what the king said. All of a sudden, it's like a light came on. This is the same king that said, throw him into the dungeon. And Ebed Melech, he says, take 30 men and go to the place. Take 30 men and go and lift him out before he dies. I love those words, before he dies. Who in your life right now is God saying, lift them out before they die in their sin? Lift them out in your prayer before they die in their depression. Lift them out before they die in their hopelessness. Who do you work with? Who do you shop with? Who do you go to school with? Who do you know? What friend are you acquainted with that you say, Lord, lift them out before they die. Take care of them, Lord. I beseech you, Lord. Who do you know that you need to go to a boss about? That you need to go to a teacher about? That you need to not only pray, but you need to put actions and say, God, this, or sir, ma'am, this person needs your justice. This person needs your help. The king let him go with 30 men. I wonder this morning, would you have been one of those people? You see, I want to tell you something about what's going on in Jerusalem. These 30 men that went, at the moment they went, were suffering famine and disease and weakness. Jerusalem was being sieged. The food had run out. In fact, it was right before people started walking in cannibalism. Not one of these 30 men said, I'm too weak. I'm too famined. I don't have enough. But these 30 men went, and I love this picture. I've said it before, but it means so much to me. When Ebed-Melech got to the pit and he looked down, he called out and said, Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah, prophet, are you alive? Because he didn't know. And he's tied these garments together and he put them around the rope. One of the most beautiful pieces or pictures, I should say, of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And when he lowers the rope into where Jeremiah is, he doesn't just say, they lowered him by the rope. But when they took him out, they twined around those ropes pieces of cloth all the way around the rope so that he wouldn't hurt it. What Ebed Melech says, sir, we're going to pull you out. But sir, put those garments underneath your arms because when we pull you out, we don't want the rope to hurt you. We want to tenderly and compassionately lift you out. I wonder who you and I know this morning that's sinking into mud and mire who needs somebody not to lift a strong, stiff hand. Come on, somebody. Not to send an accusing word. Not to send down some piece of metal and say, get out however you can. But would take the compassionate works of Jesus of love and gentleness and kindness and lower it down into that pit and say you know what I don't want to accuse you I don't want to heap on you any more condemnation I don't want to point out everything what I want to do right now is lift you up out of the place in which you are does anybody fear the Lord who lifts up the lowly and brings them up out of a horrible pit and puts their feet on a safe place there's Ebig Melek Matt blowing the whistle on insanity when was the last time you and I blew the whistle on insanity around us when is the last time we blew the whistle and stood in the gap when was the last time we took our place like that but this is the great part I've always loved the story of you big Melick heard it 26 years ago at a Maryland Hickey never heard it before till then and then studied it for all these years but only a few years ago did I find out what happened to Ebed Melick the powerful thing in Jeremiah, if you're taking notes, in the book of Jeremiah, the 39th chapter, I want you to listen to this. Say, servants of God, say, servants of God are always taken care of. I'm not speaking about preachers and pastors and apostles, them too. I'm talking about you, brothers and sisters. When you serve the kingdom, you don't serve a person, you serve Christ. Whatever you do for the kingdom, you do for Christ. It's His kingdom. Whatever I do, I don't do for Church of the Harvest. I don't do it for Free Life Chapel or Daystar. I do it for Christ. Because kingdoms come and go. Things change in the earth. What we do, we do for Christ. Because He's the only one who will reign forever and ever. What we do, what we live, we live for Him. And often we wonder, does He notice when calamity comes, when things happen, will he remember? You are named this morning servants of God. And some of you in different areas and some that aren't with us this morning have served so fiercely, if that's the word I can say, humbly, tenacious. You have served wholeheartedly. When others didn't even see what you have done, you have served the Lord in your places of work, in your church, in your homes. You've served and you served Sometimes you feel like others are getting away with less. And what's that all about? You know what? I don't worry about the less givers. I worry about what I'm doing for the Lord. I don't worry about those who aren't pulling their weight. Because you know what? When glory comes, I'm going to ride the boat in His glory. When rewards come, when crowns come, when blessings come, when I stand before Him, He's not going to ask me what Matt Decker did for His kingdom. 
He will not speak to me about Matt Decker. He will not speak to me about Susan Vernon. He will not ask me, how much did Austin serve? Did he serve humbly? Did he serve it unto me? Did he do it when no one was watching? He will say, you daughter, how did you serve me? And on that day, I want to be answered, Lord, I did my best. Listen to this, Jeremiah 39 and verse 16. Jerusalem's being destroyed and they're coming in. They're taking everybody. They're going. But Jeremiah says, go and speak, verse 16, to Ebigmelech the Ethiopian. Say, God remembers. Everyone say, God remembers. Say, God remembers me. Say, God remembers my acts of service. God remembers. He is not unjust to forget your labor of love, the Hebrews writer said, that you've given to his name. He says, go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. I love this. Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But verse 17, but Ebed-Melech, servant of the Most High God, Ebed-Melech, people won't even know your name, but I know your name. I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord. And you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. I love it that God knows people I don't want to be cast in the hands of. Come on, somebody. For verse 18, I will surely deliver you. And you shall not fall by the sword. But your life shall be as a prize to you. Because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Listen to me. God says to you, look up. Your life shall be as a prize to you, servants of God. You want to know why? Because it wasn't a prize to you when you willingly gave it away. Because it wasn't a prize to you when you did the right thing in the right moment. It wasn't a prize to you. You didn't hold on to your life saying me, 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 I, 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 but you gave your life away. Let me tell you something. When the vengeance of God reigns upon this earth, the servants of the most high God will be kept in the shadow of the almighty. Life as we know is soon coming to an end. I'm not even talking about the rapture, but the way we've known things, it's going to all change and we're going to be living in a different world. But guess what, Ebigmelech, the servants of the most high God will be be kept under the shadow of the Almighty and your life will be a prize and he will keep you, keep your children, come on somebody, keep your grandchildren and keep your houses. That's going to be the line between the redeemed and the unredeemed. Oh, somebody just lift a hand and thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a powerful, powerful promise. You, like Lot and his family, will be spared. Yes, you will. You will be kept. You might not have any green beans. I'm speaking about the Spirit right now. In your pantry. But God will make sure you've got food. You may not have any gold in your basement. 
I don't got any gold hidden up for the end days, but I know I have put service into the kingdom of the Most High God. I have served Him. In that day and the days to come, it will not be riches or wealth that will save men and women as this world begins to turn, heading toward, heading toward end time, but it will be God who will spare us. We need to save. We need to have think provision on hand, absolutely. But you'll never have enough. But let me tell you, Ebed Melech was just a servant, a eunuch. He was an Ethiopian, but he had done everything for the kingdom of God. He knew what to do. And in the moment when Jerusalem fell and swords were taken down the strongest of warriors, guess who walked right through the fire? Guess who walked right through the battle? Guess who walked right through the attack? Ebed Melech, the servant of the Most High God. Do I have any servants that give themselves to the king and to his kingdom for everlasting more. Thank you, Jesus. He feared God in a crucial moment more than his enemies. So God did not let him be delivered. And to those he feared, oh Lord, we just, I'm not done, but I just got to speak to you for a moment. We thank you, Holy Father. We thank you, Lord, that this is true for us this day. I just felt the Holy Ghost. Just tell me to grab that. I didn't expect that, but oh, I grabbed that, sir. I grabbed it with everything within me. Our riches are in the kingdoms and in souls. Our riches are in lives restored. Our riches are in tears wept for the prodigal. Our riches are for clothes we've ironed for the poor. Our riches are in food we've given to the hungry. And what we will do more in the days to come will blow minds of what will, will rise up from this place to feed this region. Lord, what we shall do, it shall be an evermore sign unto you that we have loved your kingdom more than our own lives and we have loved your principles so Lord we just grab hold of that that we will be kept safe that every Ebed Melech will walk through every fire to the other side because God knows our name somebody give him one more praise and we're going to end this morning thank you Lord thank you Lord this beautiful I want to talk about David just for a moment we'll be done this beautiful hymn seems appropriate listen he giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Can you just wave one hand before him and bless his name? Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that you giveth and giveth again. David is in a pit found in the book Ziglag, a place that many of us have preached about. He did encourage himself there, and you must, but that's not where I want to end this message. I want to end it in that pit that he's in. I want to end it in that place where he's fought the Philistines. He's been at Ziglag. The promise kept Jeremiah and the promise kept Ebed-Melech in the pit and the promise will keep you. Say, the promise will keep me. And the promise is going to keep David. 
It's going to keep him that he's going to be king. It's going to keep him. That promise that was made over that shepherd boy, the one that nobody counted on, that shepherd boy who was shoveling dung while his brothers were in the best place, that shepherd boy that no one paid mind to, God's promise is going to stay with him. David finds himself, he's run from Saul. He's fought Saul for a minute. Saul's leaving him alone. Ziglad, the pit is a place where you're being fought. It's this, and then you wake up and it's that. And God seems to be silent. Wave a hand if you know what I'm talking about. And God seems to be silent. My uh, best friend Missy and I say that it's the season of, I don't know. It's the season of God's not answering. You can be a winner and be wounded. You can have given service and be weary. Fighting is exhausting and mat. David finds himself at Ziglag. He finds himself there. The enemies come in for the kill. He's fought the Philistines. He's fought Saul. He's been there for a year and a half. And years have passed since the promise and the prophecy. But the promise is still holding his feet to the floor. There's moments when you can't even hold on to the promise, Pastor Todd, as we like to say, that you have to hold on to the promise keeper. Can I get an amen? And here's David. He's at Ziglag Seth. He's fought the Philistines, but the Amalekites were much more horrible warriors, fierce. They came in to hit always in the weakest and to study while the way they did. They did horrible things to the people they were fighting. They came in to Ziglag while David was fighting one battle. They took the wives and the children. David comes back with his soldiers and his army and his wives and the children are gone. You know Everyone began to weep bitterly. David and the soldiers. These mighty men. These mighty men that conquest are written of. These mighty men that God blew the whistle on and, and called the in debt discontented and the distressed. He called them and made them mighty warriors like you and I. Not many of us were wise when we were called. Come on. Not many of us were great when we were called. But God chooses the base, the foolish, the despised things of the world to confound the wise. Anybody want to wave a hand and say, Hallelujah, Jesus. I, and look at your neighbor and say, I am one of them. I am. I am the least. I am. But God chooses you and I to show His glory. And here is David and they're weeping and they're crying. And everything inside of him wanted to give up. Everything inside of him wanted to let go. But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David might have spoken in faith what later would be speaking by another psalmist. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Forget not all. Everyone say all. His benefits toward me. He heals my body. He forgives my sin. He renews my life like the eagle. You know what? In a moment of the pit, you got to bless the Lord within your own soul. You got to speak over your own self. You got to say, Self, I'm going to tell you, you can't work on your escape in the pit. You've got to work on your faith. You've got to begin to speak the things yourself to get you out. Look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, Sometimes you got to bless him. And David must have because he encouraged himself. He spoke to himself. The promise kept him in the pit. He goes to fight the Amalekites to get back his people. And the amazing thing is half of his men didn't even go. The pain is coming faster. Let me tell you, in moments that the pain is coming faster and faster, 
It's just like when you have a baby. The faster the pain, the faster the contractions, means a baby is coming soon. You go, first time I went to the hospital with Courtney, I had my makeup on, I had everything looking pretty, my hair's curled, I had on my best little outfit, I came in just smiling, the nurses looked at me like, you little idiot, you. They took me up there and uh, checked me and said, honey, and your water may have broke, but you, you're not even. No, my water hadn't broken. and said, you're not even at one yet. Go home. When you come back and you don't look so cute, we'll know this thing is for real. When you come back and your makeup ain't on, when you come back and you look serious, we'll know you're ready for something big here. But you need to go back home. Well, I went back home, took up all the makeup over our house over there on Parker Street, um, brushed my hair, put it in a ponytail, put my gown on, went to the restroom to brush my teeth, and all of a sudden the water broke broke and then bam 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 those contractions started coming I was like oh, oh. and pastor we walked back in there was no smiling there was no makeup on the face the nurses said we got your room ready now we looking at you and we knowing you're serious now you're fixing to have something's going to happen big something's going to be born here something new let me tell you something when the pain gets more intense when the contractions get more intense when it seems like trouble comes from the right and the left in a very short time you best know today that something new is fixing to be born in you and out of you and for you and God's fixing to do a brand new thing don't get off of the place of pain before God brings the promise through don't leave the place of pain before God brings the promise through you see just like a woman you can't leave that place and David could have left Ziglag looking for the promise we do that. I've seen people leave churches to go look for a spouse. I've seen people do all kinds of things in their life. Leave jobs to go look for a spouse. I think there's more single men over here at Maytag. Hello. People go looking for a promise. The promise kept David and Ziglag, the place he didn't want to be, until God could fulfill it in the least likely place. In Ziglag, it seems like David stayed for 20 years. It's only a year and a half that he stayed but it was in that place. And with half of men, when he got ready to fight Matthew, 200 men said we're too tired. 200 men said we're too weary. 200 people said we can't do it. This was big at stake. Wives and children. But David doesn't smite them. He's a bigger man than I am. He doesn't give them a lecture. He takes those that are willing to fight and go in the strength that they have. Let me tell you something. God would have rather Gideon have 300 full of, full of strength than 30,000 men who were wavering. Stop telling God what you don't have and how much the odds are against you. Use what you've got. If it's two fishes and love, go in the strength you have. Take your jar of oil. Take your bag of manna. Take less and do more. Because when God's grace is with you, you've got less, but you can do more because God is with you. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Say, my crown. Say, my crown is coming. Ziglag. Word up to you, brothers and sisters. Don't leave the place of pain. Don't get off the delivery table until the new thing is born. You're going to come out of this pit. David pursued, overtook, got everything, recovered all. He recovered all. He went with less warriors, but he went with warriors 
who said, I'm going to go. You don't think these men was tired too? They'd fought the Philistines. They'd cried all night about their wives and children. They almost stoned David. They were so mad at him, wanted to blame. We always want to blame somebody. They wanted to blame David. Nothing in this story was David's fault. They wanted to blame him, but the enemy had come in and done this. But you know what? David went on with those. He went on and he fought the battle. Word up. Sometimes you got to tell hell, I ain't coming. Sometimes you got to tell hell, I ain't coming. I'm not answering your call. I'm not responding to your lies. I'm not listening to your deception in moments of my life. I'm not leaving my place until my promise comes, until the crown gets here. I'm going to hold on because everything God promised sometimes will only meet you in your pain and in your pain becomes your greatest promotion. Somebody give him one more shout of praise and I will finish. Your promise from God, from Genesis to Revelation, whatever you're holding on to, if it's nothing but the written word, it doesn't have to be a special prophecy. I hold on to his written word a lot more than a spoken prophecy. Whatever it is, it holds you. David fought, he pursued, he, he got everything, and he's still in Ziglag. He's still. And word comes from a messenger and says, I've killed Saul. Saul asked me to take my sword and help him thrust it. I've, Saul is dead. Your enemy is dead. The crown is yours. And even in that moment, David riles upon him and says, he kills him because he touched God's anointed. You know, this is a deal. I'll tell you about your boss. I'll tell you about where you work. Listen, God was going to promote David, but David was not going to let another man do it for him. Don't let another man do for you what only God can do. Come on, somebody. Don't let another man. David didn't want anybody to grab what was rightfully his. But in that moment, the crown came to Ziglag. Watch this. The promise came to the place of pain. The fulfillment came to the lowest place. The place where he had cried all night. That's when he found word that the crown was now his. That's when he found the moment when he learned. You know what? The promise is coming. Let me tell you, wherever you are this morning, are there specifics to your destiny? Absolutely. Can you know the specifics to your destiny? Yes, you can. When can you know the specifics of the destiny God has for you? After you you've carried every one of them out but not before in the pit in the promise you got to hold on to the promise keeper I want us to stand all over the house I'm done speaking I want you to lift your hands to the Lord right where you are if you can I want you just to lift your hands and worship the promise keeper Lord we just stand here worshiping you before we pray for needs and breakthroughs we thank you Lord God on this Sunday morning that seems a little quiet seems a little different